All right, let's get started. Part two of heaven. <clears throat> you guys have any questions? Like, I have what I want to talk about. I have what I think is cool about heaven. Um, you guys have any questions that we didn't cover last week, or you hope I cover this week? <clears throat> Besides, who's going to be there? <clears throat> I don't have that list. So. There is a short list in Revelation 22, but we can talk about that a little bit, too. Any questions? Curiosities? Heresies I said last week? Anything? All right, let's pray, and then we can start with some words of Jesus here. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for uh, being over everything and also revealing yourself in time, space, and history in Jesus. And we thank you that he talked a lot about heaven and hell, and he talked a lot about himself, which was kind of the main point of heaven. And as we're going to see this morning, help us to uh, long for the shape of things to come, as well as love uh, people while we're here, uh, wrestling with the shape of the way things are now. Help us to live with that uh, expectation and also some of our current disappointment without detaching from what you want us to do uh, right now in our relationships and in our uh, opportunities you give us. Give us uh, your mindset, give us your wisdom by your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's see. Arnold, can you read that mm-hmm. top passage? Yeah. Let your hearts, no, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and <coughs> you to myself. That where I am. I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right. Well, this passage, most people, if you said... What's the clearest passage on heaven or going to heaven? I think people would pick this one. At least at least I would. Um, but this passage, what, what isn't mentioned in this passage? Heaven. The word heaven isn't, isn't mentioned here. But what is mentioned that we tend to picture about heaven? And I'm not just about tearing down our favorite pictures of... Many rooms. Many rooms, okay. <clears throat> so what is, what is this pointing to? <clears throat> or maybe what question is this sort of anticipating or answering? 
Is it going to be full or uh, empty? Is there going to be many or few? <coughs> uh, Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, is sort of wrestling with what he thinks is the traditional position is that few people will be in heaven and it'll be kind of just a really tight group. Uh, different cults have said, well, there's only 144,000 people there. But then when they sort of felt like it was full and they were going to get left out, they sort of changed their concept of the number. That's what the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses did and possibly the Seventh-day Adventists. Different people have said, there's only 144,000. Oh, shoot, that probably filled up, you know, in the first century after Jesus. So how can we be part of the special few and still make it in kind of thing? But he says, there's many rooms in my what? It's Father's house, right? Father's house. <clears throat> and then, so let's think about this for a minute. Uh, God is a spirit. Jesus tells uh, the woman at the well in John 4 God is a spirit. He doesn't live in houses made by hands. So what, what's the point of Jesus saying, hey, my father's house has lots of rooms? Um, who needs a house? Does our father need a house? Nope. No? Who needs a house then? <laughs> Tommy does. Tommy needs a house. Father's kids need a house, right? And this is actually what Jesus is talking about is when he says, I prepare a place for you. What, what's basically been going on since cre- beginning of creation is God's always building a place for us to be with him. And place, obviously, because we live on an earth that God made, is God's not allergic to physical things. He likes hanging out with us in the world that he made. And so that's kind of when we think about heaven isn't get me off of this place that's got, you know, trees and parking lots and, you know, people. Get me up to harps and clouds kind of thing is the whole point is living with God, living with God's people in a place that God makes for us. The original place was a physical place and it was a garden was it kind of a plan b place was it kind of a sucky place no it was awesome it was paradise right because it was with god it was perfect so we're trying to keep these things every time we do theology we're trying to like what things do we have to keep in mind that we can never throw away even in our when we're wrestling with things are broken things are messed up um is this fact that physical things are awesome. A physical place was always where we were meant to be. We were always meant to be with God. That's his original intent. And that's really what Jesus is revealing is, there's a place for you. It's Father's house. I go to make that place for you so that you have a place. This is where you were made to live. And then he reveals, and then obviously Thomas, who has troubles with doubts and kind of conceptualizing things. So maybe if you're struggling with this, 
Thomas is going to be like your patron saint, right? He's the patron saint of doubters, right? Of people who struggle to wrap their heads around, God, I believe you're true, just I don't know how it works. I don't know how this fits, how my own fears, my own, my own worries uh, work. What does Thomas say? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like, if we want to follow you, Jesus, but how are we going to get there if you don't tell us, like, the GPS coordinates? Um, how are we going to get there? And, and what is Jesus' answer? <clears throat> this is a famous verse, verse 6. How are we going to figure out how to get to Father's house? How are we going to figure out how to get to the place where, where you've prepared? What does Jesus say? He's the way. He says, I'm the way. What's the point of saying that? That's not very specific, is it? Guys, don't don't sweat it. I'm the way. The truth, the life. No one comes to Father. Does this really feel like an answer to Thomas's question? Is this one of Jesus' changing the subject kind of thing? This is the perfect answer, but it sort of blows up our conceptions. He said, you just said you're going to make a place for me. You say Father has a house with many rooms. What floor am I going to be on? Am I going to be next to him? You know, do I have to share a room with her? You know, that's not the question. It's, he's like, I'm making a place. It's in Father's house, and I'm the way to it. it yeah. And he actually says, nobody comes to the Father not the Father's house. Yeah. I mean, he's... <clears throat> Making it, making it yeah. I don't know you wrestle with this maybe being away from school and coming home. You love coming home, but you don't always love coming home to your parents, right? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> You're being recorded, so don't say anything to there. But uh, we wrestle with we're coming home, but that means we also come home to the junk of home, the relationship problems or the history we have with our, our family or our brothers and sisters. But here Jesus is saying, the point isn't you get an awesome house and awesome rooms and cool roommates. It's this is Father's house. The point of heaven, as we're going to be looking at more and more this morning, is it's all about a who. And we get really tripped up on the what. Like, streets of gold, awesome. What does this mean? What does that mean? And the whole point Jesus is saying, the whole point of this whole discussion is having a place with Father and coming to that place through through the Son. Letting Him take us there, and knowing that that He is the one who brings us there. And that's kind of what, why, when we talk about heaven with friends, or just talk about heaven in our culture, is the way you get to heaven is what? It's very simple for most people. Pray the sinner's prayer. Be good and then die, right? There's two steps to getting to heaven. Be good and then die. And Jesus sort of blows both of those. He's basically saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the one that's been legit. I'm the one that's been the perfect son. I'm the one that's been perfectly obedient. Hang with me. Be shaped by me. Be loved by me. Be forgiven by me. And you'll go with me to Father's house. And this always raises the question, well, then who belongs in Father's house? What kind of people? And so Jesus was always talking about what kind of people belong in Father's house. And it's... Look where it says, it says, believe in God. Well, a lot of people believe in God, like this generic belief in a deity. But here, 
we see that God has become very specific in Jesus. That really Jesus is the way to the Father, the way to heaven. It's not just be good and die. It's very, the theologians say, Christo-Christ-centric. And this is the struggle that we have about, what about people that never heard about Christ? Are they able to get to heaven? But God is always revealing himself in Jesus Christ, very specifically, because God has come to earth in Jesus Christ to be salvation for us. And so it feels creepy to say only those who believe in Jesus will be in heaven. But Jesus has made it that creepy. He's made it that specific and that narrow because he's the point of heaven. He's the glory of heaven. He's the one that brings us to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. So as we've been kind of examining in the hell discussion and in the heaven discussion, if you don't want to hang with God, heaven's going to be a really lame place for you. So it means we have to wrestle with, do I really love Jesus? Do I really want to be with Jesus forever? Do I really want to be all about him forever? We had a youth group kid once. We used to sing this Worthy is a Lamb song when we did worship. And then we were being very literal because if you look in Revelation, it says, and they sang again and again and again forever and ever and ever, Worthy is the Lamb. He's like, dude, I don't want to go if all we sing is Worthy is the Lamb. And I was like, well, then, dude, maybe you're not going. Or, you know, we were just kind of wrestling with him like, what would be wrong with just singing Worthy is the Lamb the whole time? It sounds boring right here, but we'll be different people because we'll be changed. Our hearts will be changed. We'll be able to see God and enjoy God um, uh, perfectly. <clears throat> Any questions about that, uh, that or, or comments? <clears throat> We're going to be talking a little bit about place, but we want to be thinking about especially um, another P word. That this is all about personal. <clears throat> From the very beginning, we were built for relationship with God in the place that God made, living on God's promises. Um, so that's, that's a definition I've stolen from some guys in the UK. They say God's kingdom is God's people living in God's place, living on God's promises under God's king, which is basically the, the message of Scripture is living in God's place that he makes, living under the king that he gives, living on the promises, the words that come from his mouth. That's what Jesus says. This is the will of God, is to believe in the one whom he sent and do do his will. Listen to him, obey obey him. That's what we were always, always built for. Any questions about that? Or kind of the narrowness? Uh, anybody read Rob Bell's book? Or besides me and Michael? Uh, we can loan it on Kindle to you, so you don't have to buy it. Maybe. But uh, <clears throat> so yeah, there's going to be a lot of people there. It's going to be a sweet place. But if you don't love God or love Christ, it's going to be really boring and annoying. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that's what we've been talking about in terms of hell. Okay, John's vision of heaven. Everybody's like, yeah, get let's get to Revelation already. Um, so I don't want to disappoint you. Uh, here it is. Um, Danny, you want to read that first paragraph? Then came one of the seven angels, who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, 
and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Let me stop there for a second. Because this sounds weird. He's like, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And then what, what did he see? He saw a city. Like, what's up with that? I thought I was going to see this chick, like, all dressed up for her wedding. And then I hear about this really square city. <coughs> two miles high, two miles wide, two miles long. Like a big chunk of gold. Right. What's he talking about? Well, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about God's people in God's place in God's presence. So, but look how he says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. If we've read other parts of Scripture, what is he talking about, this bride? Church. Yeah, we're cheating from the marriage series, Ephesians 5. <clears throat> marriage between... Male and female, Ephesians 5 says, is actually about Christ and the church who gave himself for her to make her glorious, to make her radiant. So the way the Bible works isn't like to contradict Harold Camping. It's not about add up the numbers and see what date comes out at the end. This isn't just for math geeks and slide rule people. The Bible is actually uses a, a, we could call it a visual vocabulary of images. And so when we read the Bible, we're supposed to be collecting a whole bunch of images. Kind of an analogy would be, uh, there's current musicians, and maybe like some cellists or trumpet players or something would maybe want to debate whether we could use the word musician for this. But DJs who use nothing but samples and produce a quote-unquote new work of art, the real struggle is, are they real artists? They're not really original. Well, they're original in the way they put it all together, but they're not original. They didn't create all these sounds. They found these sounds and they put it together. That's actually what scripture is doing most of the time. This is what we call biblical theology is God moves the writers of Scripture to be like DJs, to mix all these images of what God has done and what God has said, what God has shown. That's what we're doing with Elijah and Elisha. What was God doing with them? How does that show how God works, how God reveals? Because obviously we're not going to be like running from nasty queens named Jezebel anytime soon. We're not going to be fed by ravens, I don't think, anytime soon. So how can we apply this stuff? It's in this term of building a visual vocabulary of how to trust God and walk with God, using the imagery of what God's done and what God has, has shown. And so we have to have all of that kind of in our interview, like on GarageBand. You have this whole palette. It says loops, drums. They say, do you want dark? Do you want interesting? Do you want happy, poppy? I don't know, my kids will have to... What are the options for loops? But that's basically what's going on here. So when we see things like this, we're like, there's a bride who's a really chunky city. That doesn't sound like a compliment. Um, but it is. 
Because what is it saying that the bride is a city? Well, let's see this next verse and I'll, I'll pick this apart. So the bride is obviously persons, but it's describing it in terms of a place. And this is obviously very poetic language describing what God is doing. Uh, let's see. Uh, Meredith, can you read the next paragraph? It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gate stayed 12 angels, and on the gates the names of 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay. Lots of twelves on there, right? <clears throat> Let's think about this for a second. There's four compass directions, north, south, east, west. On each of these, there's how many gates? Three? Three. Well, that sounds a biblical number, trinity, all that kind of stuff. Um, but on the name of these gates is inscribed what? Twelve tribes. There's names, right? And these are the names of who? It's the sons of Israel. Yeah. <clears throat> so th- these are names of God's people. So what's the point of this city? Its beauty, its size, or its what? Based on what you meet when you come up to the gates of it. It's what? It's content, or what it's about. Is God hanging with his people? In the Old Testament, God's people were many. God's people were organized into 12 tribes. As we're reading now in the Elijah-Elisha stories, God's people are lame. God's people are rebellious. God's people are like a cheating wife. Why would God want to put names of his cheating spouse on his awesome, perfect city? you ever thought about that? Do you guys write the names of people you've broken up with on your wall to remind you of how awesome that was? <coughs> no. <laughs> well, why is, God do, why is God doing this in this picture of this perfect uh, future with his people? Sure, they broke his heart. Sure, they broke his word. Sure, they broke lots of stuff. But they're his. He has committed himself to them. He has covenanted himself to them. So this picture of heaven is not just about this awesome place, but it's an awesome reality that God built a place with his people, for his people. And as the story goes on, the end of uh, Revelation 22, it says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. We think about heaven. Oh, isn't that awesome? The dwelling place of man is with God in heaven it gets actually reversed, is that God loves to live right in the middle of his people. And so the the picture of this bride, well, of course, a bride is a person. These people that God has joined to himself. <clears throat> so we have on the gates 12 names of the sons of Israel. So that's God's people, we would say Old Testament. And then on the foundations are what? Another 12. 12 apostles. 
you remember who those guys were? <coughs> Matthew, tax collector. Peter, big mouth, big talk, big mess. Um, <coughs> James and John argued about who was going to be first in his kingdom. So they were really annoying, kind of mama's boys. Um, Twelve apostles. These are people that he chose to anchor his truth and to build his New Testament church upon. And, and they are shown as the foundations. Ephesians talks about the foundations of the apostles and the prophets uh, and Christ the cornerstone. <clears throat> so right when we're starting to think about God's place as being the awesome point, he almost switches it on us and he says, what's the most awesome feature of heaven? God's people. God hanging with his people. So let's look at, that's, that's kind of point one, as I kind of broke out the features and the imagery. God's people, Old Testament and New Testament. But also in, uh, in Revelation, we have this concept of two cities. <clears throat> right before Jesus went to the cross that week, he was standing over... Jerusalem, and it says he wept over Jerusalem. Do you remember what he said as he wept over Jerusalem? I would have gathered you like a mother hen, but you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have it. It says, and you've killed, killed the prophets. Their blood is on your hands. Ironically, the week that he's about to be killed by Jerusalem. So we see uh, this imagery in uh, in Revelation about two different cities, <coughs> which are really two kinds of kinds of people. <coughs> in Revelation, you're going to hear about Babylon. A lot of people say, well, that's Rome. But the apostles are basically saying that Jerusalem, you can't tell any difference. Because Jerusalem loved its power, it loved its love-hate relationship with, with Rome. And Jesus complicated this because he was about to start an insurrection and start a revolt among the Jews. And they couldn't have that. Sure, they hated the Romans, but hey, they had some privileges. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, they were able to hold power and boss around the Jews. But Jesus mixed the whole thing up as he comes teaching with authority, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he confronted both Rome and Jerusalem, and he got killed for it. He got handed over to Roman authorities, and he got killed by Jewish authorities. He was tried overnight, which was illegal in Jewish law. So all kinds of illegal things happened to put Jesus to death because he was confronting basically the world system, the Jewish world system and the Roman world system and offering his kingdom as a new system of how to live and how to, how to be God's people. <clears throat> and so you're going to see kind of this unholy uh, trinity of people. It calls her the whore of Babylon, committing all kinds of adulteries, physical and spiritual. But then we have this other kind of people that we just saw. We see this heavenly city, which is the church. 
and it's called the New Jerusalem. <coughs> she's not a prostitute. She's a bride. She's clean. She wears white. The whore, she wears red and sits on a nasty beast. So she comes riding into her wedding on some nasty creature out of Lord of the Rings or something. Um, but here, the bride comes ready for her marriage, ready for a feast. Uh, Revelation says, The white clothes given to uh, God's people are the righteous acts of the saints. I mean, we're being changed, we're being transformed, we're being sanctified by God's grace. Not just, hey, we get to be new in the future, we get new bodies, new everything, everything will be awesome. No, we're being made new now, we're being transformed, like Romans 12 says by the renewing of our minds. Then we can prove what God's will is, that good and acceptable and perfect, by being actually transformed. And so this is the new reality. This is who we are in Christ, and we're being changed into that more and more until the day we, we see Him. So let's look. Like I said, the imagery from the rest of the Bible informs the imagery we see here in this part of the Bible. And I call this the Zion Project. <clears throat> Have any Matrix fans? Okay. Remember what the name of the city was that was kind of in rebellion against the Matrix? What was it called? Zion. Zion. So Zion is a rebel movement against the brokenness of the world, living on the promises of God, living in the place that God builds. And this is really kind of the beautiful picture we see throughout uh, scripture when it when it uses this word Zion. I'll just read it for sake of time. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See, that sounds like Father's house, right? Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. As was, dec- as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This word firmly is, is interesting. The King James, I think, says built compactly uh, together. <clears throat> Have anybody, anybody studied city planning or architecture in school? The dirtiest word in, in city planning is sprawl. We can't really sprawl in the Bay Area because there's a bay and there's mountains and Nobody wants to live in the Central Valley, so we're kind of stopped at Livermore, right? Um, so we're kind of like, everybody wants to be East Bay or, or Bay people, so, but we bump up against you know, mountains and things like that. We can't sprawl. One of the beautiful things that's described about Zion is actually that it's so crowded. What's the beauty of a crowded place? You might not get it at first, but what's the beauty of living in a crowded, high-density environment? Michael can walk to Target and Emeryville and cool stuff over there. Um, Urban density. It's because everybody lives so close together. Our house in uh, Canada was so close. Literally, we were between four and six feet from the next house over that you can almost ask for shampoo if you ran out from your neighbor and they could, like, hand it out out their shower window, right? (laughs) But here it's saying the beauty of Jerusalem is that everybody lives so close together and everybody is about one thing, praising God. So kind of the imagery it's showing is 
is basically like, that city sounds awfully crowded, two miles wide, two miles long, two miles high. Isn't that going to be a little stuffy? But the real question we have is, why would you want to get away from each other? If you could hang out with perfect people all day, would you ever want to leave? No, because it would be perfect, right? Being a perfect place with perfect people, with our perfect God, forever, eating, playing, rejoicing, working, without getting fat, without getting blisters, uh, without getting stretch marks. That would be awesome, right? It's like you would never want to leave that. And that's kind of the picture of Zion is, why would you ever want to get away from God's people? As we're going to see in Psalm 16, they are my delight. Why would I want to get away from them? So that this perfect vision of a perfect city is to be tight with God and with each other. So that's why this, this block city is this vision of perfection. It's because why would you want to get away from God or other people? That's the last thing you want to do in a perfect world. And this is mirrored really well in the New Testament with the passage about your being built together as living people. Yeah. So if you're building a house, you really don't want lots of gaps between bricks. Just so you know. Because um, it's like the tightness is, a, this is a, they call it, this is a system where everything interlocks so there's no air gaps, you know. Some people even squirt foam around the cracks in their house. So they, I don't want bugs to get in, I don't want water to get in, I don't want energy to get out. We're very conscious about that. that God's very conscious about that. He builds us tightly together. And so this vision of heaven is tightness with God and, and with each other uh, and joyful uh, fellowship. <clears throat> so here's kind of the second thing. If you don't love God or Christ, heaven will be miserable. Kind of the second takeaway point is, if you don't love God's people, heaven's going to be a real drag. Um, so sort of that's why the, the church, which is the New Jerusalem, is really practice about, do I really love God's people or do I love just what God's people do for me? The vibes I get. Do I really love them as a treasure? Because really, uh, the picture of heaven in Revelation is they're the real big stinking deal in heaven is God with his people. And you have to love both of those things to really understand what heaven is about. So this is all practice uh, for that. <clears throat> Any questions or comments? About that. <clears throat> this sort of fights against something that normally dominates our, our vision of thinking about heaven, which is purely individual. I can't wait till I get to heaven because all my favorite things will be there. I hope my puppy's in heaven. Uh, um, I hope so-and-so's in heaven, I, you know? But all of it is sort of me-focused. And God wants to kind of expand our horizons onto him and what he's kind of pumped about. Um, <clears throat> so God's starting to kind of mess with our, our hearts and mess with our priorities uh, right now. That's one end with this, our greatest joy, our greatest treasure from Psalm 16. Let me just read this. Because I think this is really pointing us to uh, God's people, God's place, and God's presence. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That's a hard thing to say, right? I have nothing good in my life 
except you. And so our hearts are a daily competition for what do I call good? And is God good enough for me today? Is God giving me what I need? And is even what I lack, is that okay as long as I have God? How have I really weighed things out? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Hey, do I love Christians, other people? And sometimes Christians are the weirdest people in the world. So it's like, God, it's kind of hard to delight in them uh, right now. But then there's a contrast. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. As hard as the Christian life is, really the psalmist is saying, think about not belonging to God. Think about rebelling against God. What kind of life is that? It looks fat and happy, but it's actually uh, eternal misery. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. <clears throat> so here's a, here's a vision of the, of the future where it involves a land in God's place with God's people in God's presence. Fullness of joy, glory happening all around us, seeing the glorious ones uh, that God has made and uh, remade by His grace, that that is going to be the point of heaven. And so this kind of prayer, this kind of psalm, is how we prepare for heaven. Is God, how can I long for the best things in life? God, His people, His promises, uh, living by faith. Uh, in him and heaven will be even better than any of the pictures we have in revelation it's definitely not going to be less but it sure as heck is going to be better and so that's kind of our great hope not that get me out of here god but basically get all of your glory into my life now and i can't wait till there's no barriers there's no sin there's no alienation there's no death where i can enjoy that unhindered for the rest of forever. That's kind of the joy and the glory of heaven. Not escapism, but enjoying with fullness of joy uh, what God has has for us. God's people in God's place in God's presence. That That's the real point of heaven. And all these pictures and all this fantastic imagery is really trying to get our juices flowing uh, for that, that perfect future ahead. <clears throat> Any questions or... Uh, we're out of time, but any last questions or comments? Or... Didn't really talk about streets of gold, did I? But... <clears throat> As someone said, if the streets are made out of gold, that just just trying to say that's the awesomeness of, of heaven. <clears throat> well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you have 
come to us in Christ and that he is the one who takes us with you. Um, there's so much to say and there's so much to explain and there's not time or even words for it. And all uh, John could say is it was kind of like this. It was kind of like a pearl. It was kind of like gold. It was kind of like precious gems. Um, so we can't wait till uh, words uh, will fail us and all we'll say is worthy as a lamb and we'll just be exploding with joy uh, the rest of our lives. We pray that today uh, any don't know Christ that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that they might uh, grab him today by faith, believing him, believing what he says, receiving forgiveness of sins, so they can be transformed, not just in a future day when everything's new, but that they could be a new creation today. And we pray that you do that by your grace and through your word that we'll hear and pray and sing uh, this morning. We thank you for uh, this day. In Jesus' name, amen.